Trading Nut, episode 48. You know, there's been periods of five years where I haven't had a losing week. The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than... I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax. Learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up traders, welcome to another installment of the Trading Up Podcast. I'm your host Cam Hawkins and today we've got Steve Patterson on the show. Now, slightly different episode from what I normally do, so we don't actually get through all the questions. It's such Steve's got such a great backstory, we dive into, a, we get a massive amount of learnings from his backstory that we didn't get a chance to go through all the details. So we're probably going to have to get this guy on the show in the future. Uh, the good news is, the good news is we did record a video after the interview. So we've got a little video clip for you guys as well that you can watch and see how sort of Steve sees the charts and uh, and 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 oh, a discount on some of his services as well. So guys, you can check that out on tradingnut.com on Steve's show notes page. Uh, now, before we get into the show. There's one thing that's occurred to me in the last week, and I like to sort of drop these nuggets here, if not for myself, but for you guys out there as well, uh, in terms of something that psychologically might be holding you back as a trader. Now, I've done an awful lot of interviews in the last week. I think I've knocked over five of them, right? Uh, And uh, knocked over five of them, knocked out five of them. And one of the things that sort of occurred to me is, are you being... Are you being derailed by what somebody else says? Some other bit of insight, some other tip, some other trick, some other something else. I mean, these podcasts are great for for um, for getting new content, getting new ideas. But are you being derailed by? Uh, I suppose not being selfish enough with what you're deciding to do. And I'm sure I've said this before in the future. I've sorry in the past. I'm sure I've said uh, mentioned something to this degree, but really. Are you getting like the odd signal? Are you getting the odd bit of news? Um, are you hearing that like so and so is going up or so and so is going down, and then that's your bias for the day? And all of a sudden, you can't, you know, you can't get away from that up or down move, whatever it is. Um, you're already thinking that this is where it's going to go because so and so said this is where it's going to go, and I know they're a good trader. Now, if you're in that bucket, then what I recommend is doing the opposite i've done it before it just doesn't work out go with what you've back tested go with what you've been practicing yourself just follow it's 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 one of those things it's almost like you need every you need people's advice to move forward but then you've got to ignore some of it as well okay and you've got to be selective of what you ignore you've what it comes down to is verifying verifying what somebody has said and if it it aligns with what you're saying then great if it doesn't then it's just more information more noise that you know may or may not be right at the end of the day nobody knows what's going to happen all you know is what you've done in the past that's my rant for the day Uh, hopefully it helps it's definitely helped me for the uh, the past few days past week so hopefully it helps one of you guys out there who, who are listening to the show now, um, right, I think that's it for me today. Let's just get on with this. It's a fantastic episode, and maybe we'll get Steve on in the future and find out what, what else he's got going on and, and can, can teach us. All right, guys, into the interview. 
All right, folks, so we've got Steve Patterson here from stevepattersontrading.com. So, Steve, welcome all the way from uh, Ontario, Canada. How are things over there? Excellent. Thank you, Cam. It's a uh, pleasure to be here. And uh, things are uh, pretty good, actually. We've got a nice summer. So anytime it's summer in Canada, you're always in a good mood. Cool, cool. Well, look, uh, I'm so glad to get you on the show. It's been uh, so some of the things I've heard about you have been pretty fantastic. Um, you know, you're a proprietary trader, one of the best in the world. Um, you've you've had some like major videos that you've gone out there and, and obviously picked up a lot of traction. I think uh, you know, best video video of the year from Forex Factory and that sort of stuff. So I think we're in for a treat today to to find out a bit more about you and your story. Uh, so to start off with, should we should we get into your journey into trading? I mean, how did it all start? Um, sure, you got some time because it's been forty years. <laughs> yes, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine there's quite a story. <laughs> yeah, forty years is a long time. Let me tell you. Um, so you know, uh, I'll try to keep it as as short and sweet as possible. But um, I really started out. Uh, being attracted to the to the markets in high school, um, I was terrible in pretty much every class except for gym. I was that guy that uh, you know was a typical rebel, and uh, you know came from a low income family, and my father had the uh, whereabouts to uh, do the smart thing, get us out of the uh, ghetto in Toronto at the time. We was there were ghettos at the time, and moved us to the suburbs which probably saved my life. But, uh, you know, I, I, typical kid from the streets, I really did not um, like education or anything to do with education. So mostly I, uh, you know, I didn't go to school. Um, but fortunately, I was an athlete and have been an athlete all my life. And uh, what kept me in school was making the high school football team. Uh, so uh, long story short, um, well, I was there uh, in one of my social economic classes or something like that. One of the teachers gave an assignment to pick stocks, and we had to pick, you know, I can't even remember the amount, $10,000 worth of stocks, and we had to manage those stocks during the, uh, the course of the, uh, the semester, and I happened to win that contest. And... Uh, I found out, uh, much to my surprise, even though I was really terrible at math, uh, I had an aptitude for understanding, you know, companies, and um, that kind of spurred my interest in the markets. Uh, long story short, I didn't graduate high school. I went right to work for uh, one of my relatives who owned a, a, a pub. Uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of uh, English ales that you probably would enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure I would. <laughs> we were one of the only pubs in in Canada at that time that were serving a lot of English ales, the stouts and things. But uh, a guy walked in one uh, one day, got to know me, and he happened to work on uh, Bay Street in Toronto, which is Canada's version of Wall Street. And he said to me. Uh, you know, kid, you've got a natural flair. Uh, you got a street smarts about you. I think you'd do well uh, in the stock market. And, you know, immediately after my uh, my success in that class, uh, I jumped on it. And I thought I had these 
grandiose visions, Cam, that I was going to, you know, become a multimillionaire finally. And uh, little did I know that that job would entail two years of walking around Bay Street delivering packages back and forth. We didn't have couriers back then, so (laughs) everybody had to, everybody had their in-the-house courier, and that was, that was me. So, uh, for two years, I, I basically delivered packages on Bay Street, but, um, I was pretty tenacious and, you know, I, I wrote my securities exam. I passed that on my first attempt, which, uh, back at that time, when the average was taking about four t- four attempts. Now you got to remember, just from a guy that probably read three books in his life prior, passing my security exam on my first attempt was quite a feat. So I, I realized I had a natural aptitude for um, the markets, and uh, I eventually they were never going to get me out of that stupid job being a messenger, and it was ten thousand dollars a year. <laughs> to take the job cam, I actually had to borrow uh, $15,000 from my grandmother um, to take a job, if you can believe that. What? Uh, Why was that? Well, because it just didn't pay enough. And I couldn't, oh, right. <laughs> okay. I couldn't even afford getting back and forth to work. So I had to get clothes. I had needed suits, ties, you know, all of those things. When you're working downtown, you need all that stuff. So I actually took a loan, believe it or not, to get a job that I was stuck in that paid me $10,000 a year for two years straight. And uh, it, was, it was hell. Winter, snow, I was out there, you know, where I actually wore out my shoes, had a hole in the bottom of it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very personable guy, very friendly. And, you know, everywhere I went, I would make friends with people. And, you know, I was in a lot of high um, high-end brokerage firms at the time and I would meet people and I'd always you know talk to them and you know we'd go out afterwards obviously I'm a young guy we're gonna go out and you know party and just networked um, so get a long story short nobody would hire me because you know I didn't have a university education so Ooh. even though I had my license I I couldn't get a job as a broker so I said, screw this. I'm just going to work for free. And, you know, I, I seeked out the number one stockbroker on the street at that time. And, you know, I went through some friends, you know, that six degrees of separation thing. And uh, I went to him and I said, hey, listen, you know, like, I'll work for you for free. You know, like, just teach me what you know for a year. Give me the experience. And, you know, I just I might as well work for you for free because I'm really not making hardly anything right now. Anyways, (laughs) so he happened to uh, take a liking to me, thank God, and uh, he agreed to to mentor me, and I did work for him for a year. And after I worked for him for one year, I pretty much uh, earned the nickname, the uh, Cold Call Cowboy. And uh, uh, because I knew so many people, I, you know, I was, I was making a hundred calls a day and, um, you know, I was doing all of his pitch work and then I'd set up appointments for him and he'd go and close them. So, uh, but my reputation grew quite quickly. So after I had that experience, I was able to 
uh, get a job. And I did start out as a stockbroker. Uh, now, that was right before the, uh, the crash of 1987. So literally, I went from nothing to finally getting a job. I built my book to be the second largest producer in that branch within a six-month period, if you can believe that, because I had all of these skills and I was the cold call cowboy. And back then, it was very much like now where uh, IPOs were all the, the rage. So if you could get allocation on IPOs, um, you know, which I could because I was working for a very large firm, um, it was pretty easy to close your clients because every IPO that came out basically you know, made a 50% return in a very short period of time. So it was just how hungry were you, right? Yeah. And, you know, I was a kid from the ghetto, you know, and, you know, I, I was hungry, <laughs> especially after two years, three years of uh, making nothing. So I built my book and the, uh, you know, the market crashed in 87 and it was oh, it's most you know, the most devastating time in my life. I got physically ill with uh, some health conditions, um, hospitalized. Um, it was just a terrible, terrible time all around. They were pointing fingers, looking for scapegoats for everybody, and I was one of the scapegoats. I won't get into that too much, but the bottom line is that after it the market crashed, I realized that. Um, you know, I knew nothing about trading, absolutely nothing. I was spending all of my time, you know, just trusting what the analysts were saying and trusting what, you know, people were telling me, not really understanding what I was selling. So I took a, a year or two off and I decided that I was going to go and do the exact same process. Um, and I went and mentored underneath two floor traders. And they were locals. Um, I went to New York and Chicago. And I mentored underneath them for free again. So I was just in the, the country working for free. And, you know, they, they taught me how markets work. They taught me the, the, the business model of floor traders. Again, with some bad timing here, Cam. <laughs> Around around the time when I started to really get good at understanding what it was like to be a floor trader, the electronic markets started to come in, oh, and geez. and that job, you know, basically evaporated. I couldn't get hired. I didn't have enough money to get support as a local, and you know, get backing as a floor trader. But I had learned the business model, right? So. You know, not to be, uh, you know, not to be a quitter. I went and actually got involved in a cell phone company after that, and that happened to be some good timing on my part <laughs> because cell phones. We, we we were selling cell phones back there for two and three thousand, four thousand dollars, and um, you know, I was selling cell phones, and my best friend owned the company, and we made a boatload of money just a boatload of money um for for that time so that was really my first real um 
success in life was, believe it or not, wasn't even in the stock market. It was actually in the cell phones. But I had saved up enough money, and my friend actually sold the company to a major, major conglomerate, which I didn't really own any of it. I just, you know, I was just making my commissions. But I needed another job. And um, I still had some fairly serious health issues from when the market crashed because when the market crashed, I had all my friends and family uh, in the markets. And, you know, everybody that had trusted me got wiped out. Oh, dear. And, yeah, and, you know, I was, it, was, it was really hard because, you know, that, that, that personal responsibility that I had towards everybody – literally physically made me sick i had uh, several digestive uh issues that required hospitalization and sort of a couple of surgeries and some drugs uh all the time i used to take prednisone all the time but um but you know a- after i got involved in the cell phone uh industry it started to bounce back and i started to actually make some money uh again so what I did was when I had a chunk of money, I actually went out and bought a home, one of the very, very, very first compute home computers that you can buy. I went out and bought it. I hooked up to, I believe it was DTN at that time, uh, a satellite to get market data. And uh, with a little tiny 12-inch you know, screen, I started trading the markets. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a real learning curve to take that floor trader business model and try to apply it to a two-dimensional screen, right? Because yeah, you know, yeah. It basically, you know, just to show you, to give you an idea of the major advantage. Let's say you were working on the floor, okay, Cam, and you go to a pit. Let's say the Bank of America pit, and you look over and you see Goldman Sachs. You know. Buy, 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 a hundred thousand. Buy, 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 two hundred thousand. Buy, 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 three hundred thousand. Then you see, you see, Bank of, you see, uh, uh, you know, Lehman Brothers. Buy, 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 three hundred thousand. Buy, 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 four hundred thousand. When you're on the floor, although they're trying to hide things, you know, it's really easy to see the order flow because you can see who's doing what, and then you can see how the price reacts to that. So you have a, a, like a four-dimensional, uh, three-dimensional view of how price is moving, which is really easy to make money as a floor trader. I mean, yes, there were times I was uh, uh, faking this out, but it took a long time to translate that to a two-dimensional price chart, right? It took me probably $300,000, which fortunately I had from the cell phone business, in losses, um, you know, over the course of four or five years, Right. And, um, you know, it really took a long time to translate that onto a two dimensional chart. Well, then charting packages started to come out and they started to get a little bit more elaborate and you could buy, you know, indicators and things like that. And I found that 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 stuff at one point I had like five indicators on my charts just to kind of help me get that view. Uh, That kind of turned it around, um, meaning that now I started to become uh, relatively consistent after about five, five, I'd say five years, I started having positive months and I started having positive years. 
And then that kind of brings us up to the next step, where at around that same time, uh, proprietary trading firms started to really uh, take hold. And uh, because I had eaten up so much of my savings by the time that I finally got profitable, I really had no choice. I had no, I had no money left. It took me. I borrowed all my money trying to get profitable. So even though I didn't want to work for a proprietary trading firm, I, I really had no choice. And uh, so I signed up with, uh, you know, a couple of them, and you know things went well. I had, you know, good months, good years, and then one of them that I signed up with went uh, bankrupt. So, so that ended that, but um, was living pretty much paycheck to paycheck, month to month, just from my trading income. And then a couple other firms uh, came to be, and uh, I joined them, and you know had several good years where I was able to make back all of my losses, and then finally get to a point where I had some savings, but. Yeah, now you're talking, you know, I'm 35 years old, 32, 33, 35, somewhere in there, right? So, uh, well, maybe a little bit older, 37, 38, yeah, something like that. Yeah. But um, so that was great. And then I had a big five-year stint working with several prop firms. I worked with pretty much all of them because I just wanted to get as much money uh, as I possibly could uh, to now that I was finally making money. And they would go under uh, sometimes and or the government would shut them down because they were kind of operating in a gray area where um, eventually you had to give them money as a deposit. Uh, and that's pretty much the business model now where you still have to give them money. But there are, you know, two or three out there that I still work with occasionally, not very much anymore because I have enough of my own money. But, um, you know, I had to really just use other people's money and give them a split. So that kind of... uh, do you want me to just keep going? Yeah, well, look, it's um, it's really interesting. Now, I want to get to sort of like the current day, like, you know, where you are. I mean, that's, I don't even know what year we're in now. So you're age right. 38. Um, you did five years of uh, prop firm and you got a bit of bit of cash behind you. How far, how, how long ago was that? What Can you put it in context? Uh, well, that was probably 15 years ago. Right. Um, maybe, maybe, a, maybe 15, yeah, 15, 17 years ago. That was when the last time that prop firms was, were really like good, maybe a bit shorter than that, maybe 12 years ago. But, um, you know, I, the, the point is every time I'd make enough money, I'd quit the prop firm because I'd always have my own money and I'd always want to trade my own money versus trading the prop firm. Because I'm I'm giving them a split. Yeah. And, and then as retail commissions started to really come down, you know, with the with the you know e trade was the real one that really brought retail commissions down. I mean, I can remember doing you know a, a thousand shares of a stock 
and paying $600 in commission in and out, right? <laughs> Believe it or not, you know, that was, that was uh, maybe that was exaggeration, but I'd say $300 in commission, right, uh, in and out, you know? So if you were trading like that stock two or three times a day, you're paying $600 in commission, right? I mean, I can remember those days. But as soon as that came down, I, I didn't want to work for prop firms anymore. I just wanted to work for myself. Uh, and, you know, have that technology and those low commission rates. The only advantage that a prop firm gives you is that you're sharing uh, uh, commission volumes with several other people, so your, your rates can come down. So even to this day, I still trade with a prop firm to a little, little bit because um, – my commission rates, when I, when I want to be really active and I'm day trading a lot, I'll just run it through my prop firm because my rates are so low and I don't have to pay, uh, you know, I don't have to pay a lot of fees if a lot of brokers still charge. So bring us to the present date. Um, present date right now, I trade private money for uh, three of my personal friends who uh, happen to be extremely wealthy real estate developers. And they've given me a little bit of money, not a lot, but uh, I trade that for them because I have a very favorable split with them. And um, uh, it's no pressure. Um, I find that when I trade other people's money, I trade like shit, to be honest with you. Uh, when. Every time I try to trade somebody else's money, you know, I've got memories of 1987 in my brain that are like, you know, just absolutely terrible. But with these three guys, they're, they're, they're very, very, very wealthy. And, you know, if they lost the money that they gave me, they, they wouldn't even blink. But not that they're going to lose it, but I'm just saying it take, takes the pressure off. So okay, cool. And so, so all right. Um, just start diving back into the story a little bit. So, I mean, you said you're talking about like you know you started using indicators when the price chart came around and things started getting better. You obviously sort of overcame a hurdle there where you were consistent. I mean, can you take us back to that point where it like where things just changed around for you? Um. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there. You know, trading is a funny thing, Cam. You know, it, you know, there are, you know, I, 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 I always tell people, you know, you, I have no respect for you until you've traded for seven years. And, you know, even after seven years, like if you, anybody that's traded in the last 11 years, this is not a real market, right? I mean, this is an artificial market. There's no price discovery going on, right? I mean, you have, you have an artificial market that's pretty easy to trade. Right. So with trading, you, you know, you got to understand this is very cyclical and uh, there are there are so many things that can affect you as a trader. So I, I hate the word consistent. I really do, because, you know, there's been periods of five years where I haven't had a losing week, you know, but then there's been periods of two or three years where. Um, you know, I, I, I can't put together a winning week, right? right, right. Um, you know, it's just, there's so much that goes into it, not just the markets, Cam, but, you know, when you're, when you're an independent trader, um, you know, you've got so many battles that you're fighting from your health, 
you know, to I went through a couple of divorces. You know, during those divorces, I couldn't trade for shit, even though the market was great. Right? Oh, excuse my language. I hope I can swear. Yeah, um, you're right. Um, you know, uh, I'm Irish. I always use that as an excuse. People always... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that Russell Peters thing, but he's got a comedy, a comedian, uh, comedy skit out there where he talks about the Irish that was foul language people on the earth. And uh, I always thought maybe I was just low class or something, but apparently it's in my genes. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're but, uh, right today. You're, you're all good. Yeah. So, um, you know, I hate that word consistent. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, there were times when I guess when to answer your question, um, probably after I'd lost $300,000, learned what floor trading was about, adapted to the charts to understand and read those charts properly and then be able to translate that floor trading business model took me about three years. Uh, then I got rid of all my indicators and then once I got rid of the indicators, I became really consistent, meaning that, meaning that, you know, I could always pay the bills. Right? I could always, that happened probably, mm, I'd say, I'd say when I was always able to pay the bills happened 12 years ago. Now, in between that 12-year period, there were two years where I lost money for that two-year period, so 10 years of consistency. But during that two-year period when I was losing money, I had savings. Yeah. So so I, when I say, you know, I was always able to pay the bills, it was because I had saved up enough profit from uh, the times when everything was clicking. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so the, so the times that it wasn't clicking, I mean, was that attributed to the divorces or, or something else? Yeah, um, you know, she went through a couple of divorces. Health has always been a challenge for me. Uh, it's always been something that I've, I've had to really um, watch. Like, for example, if I don't sleep nine hours, I, I can almost guarantee you I'm going to have a losing day the next day. It's almost like clockwork. Right. I won't even. I don't even turn on my computer anymore if I don't sleep nine hours. <laughs> so, like... Uh, uh, there's little things like that, you know. There's so much, there's so much psychology that happens, and there's so many personal situations that happen that uh, you know you really have to learn who you are, right? And so, if somebody were to say to me, "Am I a consistent trader?" Yeah, now the answer would be yes, but that's just because I just know when not to do things. <laughs> doesn't mean i can do it all the time right yeah. doesn't mean i doesn't mean i turn on my computer every day and i i print out money no i just some days i just stay completely away right and you know i have other things that i do i you know that i like uh give you an example i play poker I'm a, i i i made about sixty thousand dollars last year just playing poker and people say to me well steve do you do it because you love it i go no because i do it because on the days that I'm, I, I'm not going to trade well, I don't want to have, you know, a $300,000 or $400,000 mar- uh, exposure to the market or, uh, you know, I don't want to have that. I, I'd rather just go take $1,000 and go play poker because if I think I'm going to have a bad day, 
you know, the worst I can lose is a thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why I play poker. I play poker because it, it, I've learned all about myself, what, what's my strengths, what's my weaknesses, what to avoid, when to push it, when to put the pedal to the metal and really pump it. And, you know, when to just back away and that's market conditions, you know, obviously market conditions. I, you know, um, and also knowing yourself, right? Because mm. I mean, I suppose anyone could be, you know, anyone who's consistent is like a few minutes away from being hugely inconsistent. Oh, you know, all you need to do is jump on a computer and bang, place a ridiculous order um, without looking at a chart, and then you've blown everything, right? Or you know, if you leave it and don't check your your account for another week, there's a high chance that you're probably going to be you know you're going to destroy your account so you've, oh. you're only you're only a few minutes away from being inconsistent so you're right it is the not trading that is or not knowing we're not to trade is is critical critical i mean beyond critical it's beyond critical i mean like just tell me a trader in history that you know that hasn't had a blow up yeah. i don't yeah I, I, I don't know one i mean all the greats I mean, all the greats. I mean, starting from the very book that every trader worships, which is, you know, Jesse Livermore and, you know, reminiscence of a stock operator. Right. And I mean, I mean, it, you're, it's, it's not if it's only when. Right. I mean, and I can remember when I first read that book as a young man, and I think it was like, this is freaking stupid. <laughs> what am I going to do? What am I getting myself into being a trader? This is so dumb because ultimately I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to lose it like this guy. Right. I mean, <laughs> is that my future? Yeah. And, but, but I've see again, I've learned to adapt to that and, you know, I, I've learned to pay myself. Right. I mean, I've, I take money out of the markets on a regular basis. I'm con I mean, I could have a, a multi-million dollar account if I would leave all my money in maybe, or I might've blown it. But I mean, I'm constantly paying myself every 30 days, every, every 60 days at the most, I take the money out and I spend it because that was, you know, when I, when I was, uh, when I was learning to be a trade, a uh, floor trader, that's what I was taught to do. Like spend the money because it's not yours until you spend it and you buy other stuff with it. It's, it's potentially the market's, Again, yeah, yeah. Even then, even withdrawing it is still potentially the markets, right? Because you can refund the account and you know get back in again. And so you're right, yeah. Until you spend it, it's not no, it's not yours. Not Interesting. Yours. You know, it's funny because I, there's so many people right now that are just you know in this bull market, right? And my my fiance said to me the other day, I said, look at, you know, like the market is, is, is going to have a major correction the exact minute and day in the second. I don't know. And she says, yeah, but you know, Trump and it's been going up for 11 years and the fed and you know, this and that, and this and that. And I said, look, if there's one thing that I've learned in 40 years of my life is nobody gets to keep their money. Right. Yeah. The market exists to separate you from your money. So, yeah, they've beaten the heck out of the bears for the last 11 years. They ain't got no money left, right? And what do you think they're going to let all those bulls keep that money? 
You know, no, of course not. And when I say they, what I mean is the professionals inside the industry, the institutions that run the overall market uh, volumes and the people that are the real professionals inside the industry. So all the mom and pops, all the the retail traders that have been buying the dip, buy the dip, buy the dip, buy the dip. And what I told her was, look, it's going to happen in a day or two. There's going to be no chance for them to get out, right? Mm. Or what they will do is they'll just whip it around so that even if you are in and you have relatively tight stops, you're just going to get that. The liquidity is just going to get hit, right? So until you really understand that 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 the the business model of the floor traders, the business model of the market makers, the business model of the institutional desk trader, the business model of the investment bank um, uh, uh, traders, the, the business model of the macro hedge fund managers, the business model of the, um, of the, um, you know, the, uh, of the, you know, the corporate raiders, right? So you understand all of those business models, you know, you really don't have a chance because they all are on different time frames and they're all they're all out there to separate the retail trader from their lack of knowledge about how the industry actually works. Right. So, I mean, that that's really what I've dedicated the last um, to bring you up to speed. What I really dedicated the last, I knew the business model of floor traders, but what I dedicated the last, I'd say, seven years, eight years to was understanding the business model of the market maker, understanding how exactly does an investment bank make money? How is that trader making money? What does he do? How do the orders flow from the um, uh, from the proprietary side of that bank? from the retail side of that bank directly to his desk? What does he do with it once he gets it, right? And when I say them, you know, these days it's all algos. So, you know, even though it's not really a person anymore, it's an algo that was written by people that knew that business model, and now they just monitor the algos that are executing those business models. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So that's been my quest for the last five years. Unfortunately, I've had the luxury of meeting some really great people inside some big institutions that I, I don't really want to you know, drop any names or anything like that. But uh, I, I spent a lot of time doing what I did in my early days, Cam, and that was networking, mm. right? getting, getting to know people, working for people for free. You know, I, I still have done that to this day. Let's say I want to find out, you know, what Knight does. You know, I'll, I'll go to their door and knock on their door and say, hey, I got work here for free. <laughs> <laughs> and they look at me like I'm a weirdo, but, you know, what, I'll, what I gain, you know, from working in a, at an investment bank or working for a market maker for five or six months, uh, I went to Europe for a little while and I, I worked in London uh, completely for free for eight months. For really? one of the, yeah, for one of the largest uh, traders for Deutsche Bank, and uh, you know I won't say any names or anything like that, but um, I worked for free 
You know, I, on my own expense. I, you know how expensive London is. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I lived there so, for a bit. Yeah. So <laughs> I still do that to this day. And that, that's kind of brings me to, you know, where where I am right now, which I feel is a completely rounded and, uh, you know, probably very versatile trader. But even then, knowing what I know, I still would not engage in the markets outside of the, the restraints of my personality. Yeah. Yeah. So you probably have some other questions. I'm sorry. I told you this was going to be long. It's been. Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, <laughs> it's been it's been fascinating. It's been brilliant. So I was actually wondering if we. We, we probably need to get you back on for a second interview to go through the the nuts and bolts of my questions um, as to whether or not we sort of if you've got more of this story to to share it might actually be worthwhile getting you back on but um let's um let let's I, I think it'll be it'll be helpful for the listeners if we can work out like what exactly you are trading this uh, in this day and age and and how much time you do spend in the market so do you want to start off with um, the instruments that you will you'll focus on. Sure. Well, let me tell you, first of all, I, I've traded everything. Okay. There's nothing that I haven't traded. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I've traded baseball cards. I mean, right. I'm, I'm not joking. If it, if it, if it fluctuates in price, I'm interested in it. So I've traded everything. Um, you know, I have years and years of experience with trading Forex did nothing but get nowhere absolutely nowhere even with all my knowledge even with all my understanding uh, i ended up after like trading forex for four years like uh, being net down slightly not a lot but slightly i i made a bunch of money i lost a bunch of money i made a bunch of money i lost a bunch of money i made a bunch of money and then finally i just said you know that that's enough of that uh i traded options for many 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 years um uh, I actually worked with an options market maker for a very long time. Um, I did okay with options. I, I made really good money on it. I still trade options to this day. But the bread and butter of what I trade, and I want to give you that background, is because um, you know people always come to me, and, and now I'm an educator. So people always come to me, and you know, I want to learn this, I want to learn that, I want to learn this, I want to learn that. And I tell them, look at the easiest way to make money is in the stock market and with equities. Okay. And um, I, I, I liken it to this. Um, it's actually, there's two schools of thoughts about thought about it. And depending on your personality, I always tell you to, um, to kind of go with us. So are you married by the way? Yes. Yeah. How, how long have you been married for? Oh dear. Um, <laughs> About 15 years? 15 years? Okay, yeah. well, it might be a stretch for you. But kind of, rem- kind of remember when you were a young single man yeah, and you wanted to meet the perfect woman, right? Yeah. And I say to you, Cam, you have two choices. You can stay in the little small town in New Zealand and there's 12 single girls there or you can go to New York where there's you know, 12 million single girls, right? Mm. And equities are the easiest asset to trade because you have so much choice, right? right? And if you're looking, if you have edges, 
whatever that edge is. I don't care a MACD crossover. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever you define as your edge, you know, breakouts, whatever. Well, if you have, if you've only got 12 assets to choose from, you better be the damn patient's person in the world because how often is your edge going to exist? Now, I, I need to qualify that because I want to, I want to test you on something. Okay. Okay. Um, do you believe that the markets are random? Um, no. Okay. Well, I can prove to you statistically and mathematically that the markets are random 90, right. 85 to 90% of the time on any asset. I can statistically and mathematically prove it to you just by doing a distribution curve on it. So I can show you maybe a little bit later on, but just imagine what it, you know what a distribution curve is, right? Yeah, it's like a, a sort of bell curve type thing. Exactly, a yeah. bell curve. Well, if you take the opening and closing price of any asset over the last one year, two years, 10 years, you can you can take it for whatever time period you want, and you take a look at what that distribution curve looks like, what you will see is that 85% of the time uh, from open to close, an asset will stay within a very, very, very defined percentage change. So if, for example, we take an asset like the SPY, which is a very heavily traded asset, 85 to 90% of the time, that asset will not move up or down more than 0.4%, either plus or minus. So negative 0.4, from 0 to negative 0.4, it spends half of its time. From 0 to positive 0.4, it spends the other half of its time being 85%. So what does that mean? Well, that means if you're trying to be a day trader specifically, right, mm-hmm. that, that means that the market is not moving very much. And that chances are, if you're using very, very tight stops, you're going to get stopped out because the market's just going to go and eat that liquidity on either side. And if it doesn't do it that day, it's going to do it the next day. So you might say, well, I can escape by being a swing trader. Well, and quite work like that either, <laughs> because it it it's going to markets seek out liquidity. So let's just say that um, the market moves up really strong today, like it like it like it did. Well, it's go- it, the reason it's moving up is because it's seeking liquidity, and once it finds that liquidity, it's going to eat that liquidity, exhaust that liquidity, and then it's going to move to the next lower liquidity a lot of the time with the exception of a very, very strong trend, okay? Now, in the exception of a very strong trend, what happens is that it still uh, moves in in one directional move, but it will always retrace very quickly to wipe out lower liquidity of all the trailing stops. Again, you've got to come from the perspective of what the business model is. If... If you're making money, a market maker can't make money because he's usually the one selling it to you, right? Now, I, I know it's kind of really an abstract thing, but it's true, right? I mean, yeah. maybe not, maybe not yeah. you particularly per se, right? And it might not be him versus you, right? You might sell it to another guy and another guy comes in and there's 
there's five people in between. But it's a generalization. If the retail trader is making money, a market maker can't exist, and they wouldn't be in business for 300 years. Because who would they sell it to? Yeah, right? they exactly. Yeah. If, if, if we're making money, they can't make money. There's no way. But meanwhile, they're in business for 200 years, some of them, right? Yep. <laughs> Same with investment <laughs> banks, right? So the point I'm trying to make is that <clears throat> technically, when you come from the perspective that all markets, and it doesn't matter whether you're trading Forex, stocks, or whatever, all markets are random 85% of the time. And if you can just accept that as a reality, your life will be a lot happier and a lot easier. When you say, well, Steve, that kind of sucks, right? But guess what? It doesn't. It's actually one of the greatest blessings uh, that you could possibly imagine because if you can be in that location where it's going to move that 15 or 10% of the time, you now know what all the professionals know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you spend all your time looking at patterns and indicators and blah, 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 you spend all your time looking at that, you're going to miss the big picture. But if you say to yourself, you know, where is this most likely to, if you understand their business model and how they do things, and you say 85% of the time it's random, and I'm just going to set up an alert at a level, and then I'm going to wait for an alert at a very specific level, and I'm not going to touch anything else, right? Because if you look at statistics of how retail traders lose money, it, did you know that most retail traders are successful 65% of their trades? Did you know that? Actual fact, I can show you 12 million actual trades of data. Okay, Six, I didn't know that. So 65% of their trades are positive trades. Are, they're, they're, they make money they make on money. 65% yeah. of their trades. That's pretty damn good, right? Yeah. Yeah. But do you know what the average that they make on that? On that, uh, I'm going to use the forex market here because it's easy with pips. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know what the average that they make, the average number of pips they make on on their winning trades is? I, I would I would guess five. Oh, okay. Well, you, 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 believe it or not, it's actually thirty. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But do you know what the average loss is? Um, a hundred. Yeah, more. It's around seventy, but close enough. Right, right, right. Okay. Now, now you add in all the spreads, right? And you add in all the commissions, and you have a losing trader. Right. Right. So you, the yeah. time you act, by the time you actually do that, then you got losing traders, right? So retail traders make money, and this is where I always say. You know, so so many. You're not a retail trader. To, you're not a real trader to me until you last eleven years or seven years. Because you can be fooled by randomness for a very very long time, right? And you might think you have an edge, and you might think that you know you know what you're doing, um, and you you know you can make some money. But when the next cycle comes around and the market changes, right? that edge will probably evaporate, right? Because you can be used to it and you're going to be, you know, trading that pattern or trading that crossover or whatever the heck people trade, you know, I don't know anymore. Yeah. Right? So 
I guess, uh, where did we start with this whole thing? <laughs> so we started with, uh, you were saying 65% of retail traders make money, 30, you know, they've, they make 30 pips, they lose 70 pips on average plus commission, they're, they're basically losing a losing trader. Um, yeah. Is there Over-trade. a solution to that, I suppose? Yeah, so my point is this. My point is, is that if you can accept the fact that the markets are random 85% of the time, if you can accept that, be patient, and then trade in something that gives you more of those 15 or 10% of the time, going back to the stocks, that's where we kind of started, or equities, right? Yeah. So uh, what do I trade? I trade equities. There's a very, very long story to answer a simple question. But I trade equities because every day I have 4,000 that I can choose from. Right. So every day I can go and look for that one or two out of that. I really, really well, you know, out of four thousand, I might find ten. And then of those ten, I can whittle it down to three. And of those three, I can find one really good trade that particular day that will meet all of the criteria of my edges. Right. So I trade equities for that reason. I do. You know, some of my students still trade options. Some of my students still trade Forex. But I tell them, look, if if you're trading those types of assets, you know, you have to up your patience even more. I'm not a patient person, right? So I trade what suits my personality because if I try to be a patient person, I I end up losing a lot of money. (laughs) There's a good lesson there, actually, because I've never really thought of it like that in terms of the fact that you need to be more patient with with the likes of forex, where there is, you know, there, there's just not as much choice. There's not in the thousands of choice. You know, you've got less than a hundred, really. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is. It is really interesting. That said, um, I think where I live, my, like international stocks are really sort of not that easy to to trade um, for whatever reason, just because I'm in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so so therefore, I sort of drift towards forex. But yeah, really interesting stuff. Now, look, Steve, I don't think we're going to get through the rest of the questions, which is the bulk of my interview, but I think we'll get you back on the show if, if that would be all right. Absolutely, absolutely, sure. Because I think what the guys have found out today and learnt today, sort of if they if they were to go back and listen to some of the older interviews that I've done, it really sort of takes things to, takes things to the next level. It's almost like a sort of step ahead of, of what some of the other people have said on, on previous shows and validates what I've heard uh, around the market makers and, and how the sort of markets operate uh, and and some of the stats around it, which were, were really fascinating. So I think everyone's going to get learn a lot from this interview, but without like, I mean, you know, I asked the question of uh, what instruments do you trade? We went on for 20 minutes, so I don't want to ask any more because um, we'll be here for like five hours and I know you're, you're a busy man. So <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it's 45 years, Cam. Yeah, that's yeah. A lot. I, I forgot what most people know. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so I, want to, I want to ask you um, uh, to, to let the guys know, what's the best way to, to get hold of you and, uh, and wrap up the show there? Um, sure. Well, you know, I'm always welcoming people on Skype. Uh, I, if you go to my website, Steve Patterson Trading, um, you, you can talk to Carolyn. She's always there, but you don't even need to do that. I, I'm on Skype a lot of times. Just don't bother me during the trading hours. But uh, my Skype address is SSP, like Steve Sam Patterson, uh, Trader, 
not trading, SSP trader. Anybody is welcome to add me on Skype. I um, When I'm free, I'm happy to give people a free 20-minute interview. I'll look at what you're doing. You can add me if you like, Cam. Tell me all about what you're doing. Yeah. Tell me how you're making money, where you're making money, and then I'll look at that, and I'll give you a personal uh, review, if you will, right, and say, you know, this is what you should keep doing, this is what you should not do, you know, cut back on this, do more of that, and I'll just point you in the right directions that will, you know, help you get your trading uh, going. So if you, if anybody wants to do that, I offer that completely for free, just paying it forward. And uh, if somebody wants to take it further, obviously I offer courses. And uh, just quickly, before I go too far, I, I have a floor trader uh, stock twits room. And uh, you just look up Steve Patterson trading on uh, stock twits. And again, that's something I do completely for free. I, I try, I really try my hardest to, uh, you know, pay it forward. A lot of people, as I told you, Cam, a lot of people helped me to get to where I am. A lot of people, you know. So, you know, although I have to value my time because you know I I, I do trade for a living, um, you know I do try to pay that back. So anybody's welcome to reach out and uh, ask me whatever they like. Just again, don't bother me during trading hours, or I get really grumpy. Righty ho, cool. Well, look, um, we'll, we'll try and get you back on here, Steve, because I think it'll be a fascinating interview to to get to sort of the more more technical aspects of of what you do and answer some of those other questions I've got on the show. So let's um, let's try and pencil something in in the future. But in the meantime, look, a, a big thank you to, to to Steve for sharing with us today. Everything we've discussed here, along with all the links, are going to be in the show notes. To, to find them, simply search for Steve in the search box on tradingnut.com. Until next time, I wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. All right, folks, there you have it. Interview with Steve done. Now, look, we didn't get through the whole lot, but we got through a lot. And there is actually more. So if you want to find out what uh, what Steve's got to say around timeframes and trading stocks and timeframes in particular, jump onto the YouTube channel. There's a link in the show notes. You'll be able to get access to that video. It only goes for a short while, so it's, it's quick, it's short, it's sharp. Uh, you're going to learn one or two things in there as well. So, folks, check that out. If you want to check that out, along with seeing what this offer is, jump onto Steve's show notes page on tradingnut.com. You're going to see the video. You're going to get the audio version of this again, and you're going to get the notes as well, and you're going to get a link to that offer that we've got there on tradingnut.com. So head over there, guys. Until next week, have a great trading week, and I'll see you in the markets.